Shabbat and a Lichtus in Hanukkah. It is so nice to see people coming out during our vacation time to be able to hear a shir. I traditionally never made a shir on Mosi Shabbos Hanukkah because someone felt this was such a special family time to, uh, to be able to be at home, etc. And then someone said, what do you mean? Hanukkah is limited Torah. We're supposed to be learning Torah and then Dafka and Hanukkah, you cut out, you know, from learning time. So I said, yeah, okay. Anyway, so uh, that's why we're here. And uh, I want to thank that person who couldn't make it tonight, but um, <laughs> he's at a family function. But, um, but uh, we're approaching Hanukkah, and as always, whenever we approach a Moed, and I've mentioned this many times, is that you always need a new insight into it. Rav Hutna would always give a mimer before a, uh, before a yontif, and he would uh, work to give a new insight. And there was one year that, uh, if I remember the story correctly, he was in a velis, and um, he pulled a few people together. He says, a yontif shouldn't pass without a mimer, without, without some new insight being made, without some deeper understanding. So whenever there is a yontif, whenever there's a moe, whenever a time comes around, we need to make sure for ourselves that we're looking at it with a fresh look and with a deeper insight. So that's what we do. We do each time try to look at it from another perspective. So I'm going to start with an idea that I said on a Shir before Purim about 11 years ago. And those who were there, I apologize. And uh, um, I'm sure it will be right fresh in your mind. And uh, this was an idea I heard from a friend of mine, Mordechai Kornfeld, who is uh, one of the people in, I don't know which of the Dafyomi Institutes it is, but uh, one of the Dafyomi Institutes. And um, it's, a, um, it's a fascinating observation that he made. And the longer I say it over, and the more I think about it, the more true I realize it is, and the greater are the implications. And it's a somewhat obscure reference that you come across um, not very often. Uh, when you are dealing with Tyrus, you'll come across it, but otherwise you won't. And uh, that's the following din. Apples growing on the tree will not become tame. Obviously, because if they become tame, all food will be tame, right? Um, there's always something that might be you know, you have, you have various, you know, vegetables growing and some dead lizard falls on it or something like that, you know. <laughs> That's already better than what happens in restaurants. But, you know, there's all kinds of things that go on. And, um, and uh, it would be a problem, obviously, for, um, um, you know, from, from Akash's point of view. So that being the case... Uh, once I pull the apples off the tree and I put them into a container, into a box or a, a basket, and then a dead sheritz would fall on it, it's still not going to become tummy. Because the Torah tells us a din. It's in Parsha Shmini, Parsha, in Vayikra, Yud Aleph Lamed Zion. If it falls on something that grows from the ground, it's taha. But if you put water on it, then it will become tummy. 
And the Chazal Darshan from this, that it doesn't mean any, it doesn't only mean water, but if any liquid touches this food, it, it, that's called making it, uh, it's called the heksha, uh, the machshirin. It's now, it now can become tummy. It's now been prepared to become tummy. So if one, uh, if a liquid falls on it, now what's a liquid? So a liquid would seem to us to be pretty straightforward, although not really clear. Let's take orange juice, right? I don't know where you can actually find it in Israel, real orange juice, but I'm talking about Tropicana Pure Premium, real orange juice, the way God meant for it to be, yeah? So you go back to America, you know, you'll go to someone's house and they'll say, can I offer you a glass of orange juice? And they pull out this container the size of a truck and they say, wait, let me pour you. And they pull out a glass, this enormous glass, and they start pouring it and it chugs. Glug, 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 glug. And you take a sip and you get this instant sugar shock and your lips go numb from the experience like, wow, that's not a liquid. So um, May Paris is not a liquid. It looks like a liquid, it's not a liquid. Right? There are only seven things that are considered a liquid. It is known by the mnemonic device of Yad Shachadam. Seven things are considered liquids. Yayin, uh, dvash, right? Wine, honey. Shochat, uh, shin is um, uh, shemen, right? Specifically olive oil. Ches is chalav, milk. Tes is tal, dew. Dalit is dam, blood. Mem is mayim. Those seven liquids are considered halachically liquids. Nothing else that is liquid is considered a liquid. For example, orange juice. Yeah? Not a liquid. These seven things are liquid. So if one of these seven things are put onto fruit intentionally, i.e. you wash off the apples with blood, I guess you're doing something for the fear factor. I don't really know, you know. But whatever it is, you, you wash it off with water. Let's take a more common example, you know what I mean? So you rub them with oil so they get that nice bright look. You know, you were out of lard that particular day, you know. We always hear this every now and then, how the apples are being washed with lard, you know what I mean? Give it that nice shine. But you didn't use, use the oil. Whatever the case is, and you do it intentionally, even if it dries completely, it now can become tummy. Okay? Somewhat obscure halacha, but... You know, that's the halach. So he, uh, he pointed out to me the following observation. There are seven, um, um, there are seven liquids. And there are seven holidays on the Jewish calendar. So says Eri Mordechai Kornfeld, it would seem therefore that we could make a connection between the seven liquids and the seven holidays. Now, some of them are pretty easy to make that association, right? Water is sukkus. We pour water on the mizbeach. We daven for rain. We do all kinds of things to get rain, water. That's pretty clear that water would be associated with it, right? If I had to stick honey onto something, pardon the pun, I would probably put it on Rosh Hashanah. We dip the apple and the honey. Right? Have a sweet year. Yeah? So we could associate that. Blood of all the holidays would probably only be Pesach, right? Because that's when we use it in baking our matzahs. No, no, that's wrong. <laughs> but that's when, I'm sorry, 
always get confused. That's when we say, the blood you shall live. We put the blood on the doorpost. You know what I mean? There's a lot of dam associated with it. You know, none of it of a Christian child. But there is blood that is associated with Pesach. Well, milk, that's easy. That's Shavuos. That is Cholov, the gematria is 40, 40 days to get the Torah. Just as the baby is sustained by milk, so too the Torah sustains us. We eat the cheesecake. You know what I mean? All these wonderful milk references that would obviously be associated with Shavuos. Um, Tal is a little harder. Tal would seem at first glance, do, would seem at first glance to be the same thing as water. Evidently it's not. Rashi tells us in Parshish B'Shalach, that if you take an eggshell and you fill it with dew and leave it out in the sun, then the, it will evaporate. I guess that's not true by water. Having not tried either one of the two, I can't really tell you. But uh, that would seem to be the indication <laughs> that uh, dew is seen as something more esoteric. The mun came wrapped in tal. The tchiasamesim will take place with tal. Right? So, uh, so since um, since Rabbi Shmo and Rabbi Kiva argue how literal this is, but the fact that um, that mun is seen as the food of malochim, whatever that means, it comes wrapped in tal, and tal is something that's somewhat more ethereal. So there's something about tal that would make it, um, you know, more le- less physical, more spiritual. That obviously would tie in with Yom Kippur, because Yom Kippur is a day that is very spiritual and not very physical, right? We eschew spiritual, uh, physical pleasures, etc., etc. Now that leaves two holidays left: Hanukkah and Purim. Purim—that's a no-brainer. That's wine. And the Abu Draham says we drink wine on Purim because the whole story came about through wine. So obviously, wine is a pretty central concept. Yeah. So, uh, so that's one. And that leaves us with oil for Hanukkah, and how well that is known to all of us. Because as we know, there is a minute to eat foods cooked in oil. My wife told me she read someplace recently, where is it written it has to be cooked in oil? Why can't you just have a salad and put a nice oil and vinegar dressing on top of it? I haven't seen that put down anywhere either, if you want to get technical, you know. In fact, somebody just pointed out to me that the word sheva is from the word soiva, to be full. And Shemona is from the word Shemena, to become fat. And there are eight days of Hanukkah, and as it goes on, we move from the seven into the eight, so clearly. You know what I mean? Uh, Sufganiyot are not a food group. It does not appear anywhere. And your USDA recommended list of foods, you know? And, uh, you know, now for many of us who learn in yeshiva, or have learned in yeshiva, we're used to this because there are no egg in yeshivas to cook this way all year in preparation for Hanukkah, you know? So you can get a schnitzel and just like wring it out, you know? And then see, you know, a guy had a contest, how many paper towels you could find that you could fill with a schnitzel, you know? And um, it's absolutely amazing. You can, I was just in America, you know, I was referring to a schnitzel. They said, what's a schnitzel? I said, well, take a chicken cutlet, you know, a chicken cutlet where you lightly uh, bread it and you fry it on both sides. I said, now, take that chicken cutlet and beat it till it's four times its original size. Fill it with, you know, tremendous amount of breading. Deep fry it. And when it comes out, you can put a wick in it and recreate the Hanukkah miracle. You know what I mean? So that's a schnitzel. You know what I mean? That's how we grow up in this country. Small wonder 
Israelis are the way we are. In any event, <laughs> too much oil consumption. But uh, during, uh, during Hanukkah, obviously, you know, somebody asked me once, what's the reason we eat all this oil? And I said, well, you know, the Greeks believed in the worship of the body and these great physiques, and we're going to show not us. <laughs> you know, we're going to reach that Shemona, Shemena level as best as we can, you know. So uh, you're really pretty punch drunk by the end of this uh, holiday with this tremendous emphasis on oil. And yet, if this idea is correct, and like I say, the more you'll be ma'ayin into it, the more you'll find so many different ways that this ties in, you know, to all these various chagim. But you see that, that oil seems to be such a central theme to Hanukkah. What does oil have to do? And there's a lot of different ways we can look at it. Obviously, the nace was that they found the pach shemen. And obviously, the Greeks worked to be metame the shemen. What a great battle plan. Break holes in the walls and metame the oil. That was real important. Spartacus, Eradicus, Hepatitis, everybody out. Let's go. Tommy, 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 Tommy. Look, there's some oil over there. Tommy, 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 you know? Ha <laughs> ha, we got them, you know? That's it. We wanted Matami the oil. We didn't want Matami the wine. That was not our goal. We wanted Matami the oil. They had this thing about oil. There was something about oil that really annoyed them. What was it about oil that, that and then they get to the base of English and they says, find me Taha oil. No, they're not so worried about everything else. You know what I mean? Find me oil, and I'm gonna use it in the menorah, we're gonna light it. So obviously, so much of this time is tied into understanding why the Greeks wanted metami the oil and what the power of the oil is that we're trying to maintain. So let's leave that in the background for a moment and let's head in another direction. <clears throat> Parshas Miketz is always, the best of my knowledge, Parshas Hanukkah. I was just wondering today why there's a Haftorah for Miketz. You know, it's always Parshas Hanukkah. And um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how it can, can ever work out. It's not, I don't know, is it possible? Well, it's possible. Yeah. Anyway, so Miketz is always Shabbos Hanukkah, and you'll find so many Hanukkah references in the Svarim, where they make various references to Hanukkah as you go through Parshas Miketz. There's various allusions there, right? One of my favorites is that in Parshas Miketz, Every word starts with a vav. Starts with a vav, if you look through. Everything is connected with a vav, except for eight psukim. Yeah, interesting. Otherwise, everything's connected with a vav. There's, there's all kinds of um, Hanukkah references that are spread through. Anyway, there's one here that I think relates to Hanukkah that may not be immediately evident, but struck me when I was learning the parasha. They're standing before Yosef. And Yosef says, you're Maraglim. And they say, no, we're not Maraglim, we're honest people. So if you're honest people, why'd you walk in through 10 different gates? So we're looking for our brother. He says, oh yeah, your, your brother's down here in Egypt somewhere. He says, yeah. He says, and if you found him, we'd redeem him for all the money in the world. And if they want to redeem him, then we'd fight our way out. He says, oh, now you tell me you come with peaceful intentions, and now you tell me you're walking through 10 different gates because you're ready to rip the place apart. Is that correct? In fact, by looking at my cup, I think you two guys destroyed Shechem, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> wow. That sure puts us at a disadvantage, doesn't it? Yeah? 
He says, well, that's it. I don't believe you guys. Uh, send somebody back to get your brother. The meantime, I'm throwing him to prison for three days. Throws him to prison for three days. At the end, he brings him out, and he says, I'm a reasonable man. I decided to let you all go home except for one of you. I'll keep one of you. And completely at random, he selects Shimon. Apparently. Yeah? So, Vayisov, I'm in Membez, Chavdalet, Vayisov, Me'alehem, Vayev, he goes over the prize, Vayosh, Alehem, Vayedab, Alehem, Vayikaf, Me'itam, Shimon, he takes Shimon, Vayesha, Isolei, Nehem, and ties them up in front of him. This is anyway an amazing scene because the Shiftei Ka were unbelievably powerful. You couldn't just mess with one of these guys. They could throw off a whole bunch of people. And Menashe, who's like his Torgaman, you know, comes over and just tosses them to the ground. They all go, wow, how could that be? Only someone from the house of Yaakov could have done that. Bum, 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 bum. But they don't get it. You understand? Why that is, we spoke about once, and maybe we'll look at it from a different perspective another time. But in any case, they take him and tie him up. They fill up their vessels with food. He fills it all the way to the top, and he sticks the money bag in and ties it. The, the reason being that there was no way to open it without the grain falling all over the place. So he knew that they wouldn't open it until they were safely out of the way. Yeah? And he loads it up on the donkeys for them. And they go. And the one opens his bag to give food to the donkey when they reach the inn on the outskirts of Egypt. The Yar Eskaspo, and he sees his money bag in the middle, uh, in the mouth of the bag. Uh-oh, my money bag's returned. And they all get scared because they say, oh, this is a setup. They're going to come and get us now. You understand? This is, this is bad. Come back to Yaakov, etc. Who opened up his bag and found it? Yeah. Now, Rashi, the Pusik is interesting. The one. You could have just said, one of them opened the bag. But it doesn't say one of them opened the bag. The one opened their bag. Who is this? That's what Rashi is there for. And Rashi tells us, who Levi? Shinisha Yochid Meshimin Ben Zugai. Levi is now called the one because he is alone from Shimon Ben Zugo. His buddy, his mate. Let me try to translate this in this context. But Shimon and Levi, those of us who, have, who work in education, you know, they always tell you, those two go over there, that's Shimon and Levi. Those are the Shimon and Levi. Actually, my friend Ruven Subar told me, he says, you know, Ruven gets his, his, his bracha. His bracha is Ruven, he should live and not die. He says, why? He says, whenever you learn a Gemara, Ruven dies. <laughs> Shimon marries his wife. He says, Ruven is constantly dying. You know what I mean? So he had to get a special bracha. Ruven shouldn't die. I thought that was such a keen insight. But, um, the, uh, but Shimon and Levi, when you talk about a Shimon and Levi, those two are Shimon and Levi. You see the two of them making eyes across the room, you know, everybody, uh-oh, there's Shimon and Levi. Separate Shimon and Levi, right? And that's what Yosef does. Because why does he take Shimon? 
So he ties up Shimon. Rashi says, Who Hishlichu Labor? He's the one who threw him in the pit. Who Levi? He's the one who said, Here comes the dreamer. He wanted to separate him from Levi because he was sure that if Shimon and Levi were together, they would come up with some way, with some plot to come and kill him. Like they did in Shechem. Like they did when he came to check on the sheep. This seemed to be something that Shimon and Levi did when they were together and they had a little spare time. So he decided, let's tie up Shimon and put him in prison. And that'll leave Levi alone. And I don't know that Levi's going to come and kill me. Right? The lotion that you find whenever we refer to Shimon and Levi is in the story of Dina. Uh, Here it's called the Vene Yaakov. But at one point, I hear the described as Achidina. But you see that when Yosef comes, the lotion that he uses is Ish El Achid. Um, and a man said to his brother that's Shimon and Levi Shimon and Levi and in Vayichi Rashi goes to a whole Cheshvan it wouldn't have been Reuben because he didn't want to save him it wouldn't have been Yehuda because Yehuda didn't want to kill him right? the other brothers wouldn't have spoken up before the, the older brothers so it must have been Shimon and Levi yeah Ish El Achid brother to uh, a man to his brother and evidently Shimon is being presented as the instigator and Levi as the faithful companion the Robin to his Batman you know what I mean? he says let's go get him yeah you know look at that yeah you know and Shimon would set the way and Levi would follow him right so Yosef was concerned about two things Rashi tells us one was that he had a personal issue with Shimon. Shimon is the one who threw him in the bar. Shimon is the one who said the Baal Chalamah says is coming. Shimon is evidently the one who has it in for Yosef the most. The other thing he wanted to do, and that's what Rashi is saying, is to separate him from Levi lest the two of them work together with some plan to kill him. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. One way of looking at this is he wanted to separate Shimon from Levi because he didn't like the way that Shimon and Levi put the two of them together. Forget about it. There's another way to look at it. He wanted to separate Shimon from Levi for Levi. Now, what's absolutely astounding is as soon as they leave Egypt, Shimon's been taken and tied up and put into prison. As soon as he leaves, Levi is no longer called Levi. And in fact, it would have been much more efficient to call him Levi 
Right? You have to say, and the one opens his bag, and Rashi has to learn out and say it's Levi. Just, you want to tell me it's Levi? Tell me it's Levi. It's not Levi anymore who opens that bag. It's Ha'echad. It's the one. And that becomes Levi's name. And Yosef understood the potential that Levi had. And he understood that Shimon was holding him back. And in this regard, he was machaven to his father. Because when his father gives out the brachas, what does he say when he comes to Shimon and Levi? Shimon Levi, Achim, period. You guys are brothers. Rashi, Be'etze Achas, Aushchem Bial Yosef. You guys bring out the worst in each other. You guys killed your brother, you wiped out of town. That's not called working well together. <laughs> so what's my solution? Yeah? Let them be separated and spread around. Don't let these guys hang out together. Split them up. Because you don't bring out the best in each other. When people are stuck interacting with each other in an unhealthy way, so you got to find some way to allow each person to separate and be able to develop who they're supposed to be. And Shimon should have been given the opportunity to become Shimon. And that's why Rashi tells us school teachers, right? Rebis, they're from Shevet Shimon because they have to keep traveling around. I heard years ago that they referred to in America they talk about the day school movement because in the day schools the teachers keep moving from place to place. You know what I mean? It's a movement. And they become a neem because the neem have to go from place to place to beg. And the Levium never have a city. You know, never have a, a, a nachla. They go from place to place as well to go and look for the maestros. Yaakov Avinu understood that Shimon and Levi had an unhealthy relationship. They were with each other and calls one that they were with each other neither one would ever have the opportunity to be known as ha'echad the one not one the one because it takes a tremendous amount of courage to stand up alone when everyone's against you takes a tremendous amount of courage to do what's right. And Kozman that Shimon says to Levi, let's go. And Levi's not in a position to say to Shimon, but maybe we shouldn't tell everybody this time. You know? Maybe instead, <laughs> I know, let's try a different approach. Let's try, you know? No, let's go get them. When Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, who's image is carved on the side of the Kisei HaKavod. The Malochim went up and down the ladder because they were with Yaakov. They went up to the Kisei HaKavod. They saw Yaakov there. They said, oh, we went the wrong way. They came back down. They saw Yaakov there. They went back and forth up. They didn't know which way to go. Yaakov Avinu Ishtam. Yaakov Avinu who beat a Malach. Yaakov Avinu after they do the whole Misa with Shechem and wipe everybody out, he says, 
Now they're going to turn around and attack us and kill everybody. If all of us get killed, then this will be a somewhat pyrrhic victory. Won't, don't you agree, boys? Maybe perhaps you acted a little hastily. Maybe you didn't think this through correctly. And they say, Will we let our sister be treated like a zaina? And Yaakov says, Nothing. He was an older parent and had a lot of experience. <laughs> Understood. Doesn't always pay to say something. And so he bides his time for about 50 years. And then on his deathbed he says, that question you asked me, <laughs> you know, that whole thing, you know. I don't know if you remember this conversation. We, we sort of ended in the middle of the conversation. Let's pick up from there. Cursed be your anger. You're <laughs> killing people. Talk back to me, smart Alec. <laughs> what? It was my daughter who was attacked. You could come over to me. Oh, my sister. She has been defiled. I will not take her. I will defend her honor. You know what? What do you think? What is this? We're going to play the Sopranos over here? You think I don't know who they are? You think I don't know what happened to, to Dina? You think I don't understand the cosmic consequences as well as you? Perhaps, dare I say it better? But you know, you know. You know. And when I try to say something to you, you say, boom! So I can't, you know, we stand up for each other. I'm there for my sister. I don't know about you, Dad, but I don't expect to stand back and watch this happen. Someone's going to do something and it's going to be me. It's going to be me. No problem. And Yosef, when he's given the opportunity, says, you know what, Shimon Levy, let's, let's split up for a while. You know, Levy, you go home. Shimon, you go to prison. And let's give everybody a chance to, you know, reflect, think a little bit. See who we are and where we are and what a special opportunity this gives us. You know, having never been to prison myself, I can't see. But I forgot which Rosh Hashiva it was that when, you know, the communists once took him and threw him in, in prison for I don't know how long it was and he came back and he says, wow, was that Gavaldic? So I could sit there and learn, totally undisturbed. Nobody bothered me. I didn't have to worry about paying any bills. I didn't have anybody ask me questions. Just sat and learned all day. What a Gavaldic thing. I've been to yeshivas like that. But... Uh, <laughs> But be that as it may. <laughs> so I haven't actually been to prison, you know. But, uh, you know, so Shimon, you sit there and think. And Levi, you go. And as soon as they separate him, before they even outside of the, of the boundaries of Mitzrayim, Levi is no longer called in the Torah Levi. He is called Ha'echad. Ha'echad. And that's what Yaakov tells him. Don't work together, friends. Split up. You'll do better on your own. <clears throat> what happens? What happens is that uh, Levi goes down to Mitzrayim with everybody else and Yaakov dies and Levi stays the longest. He's the last of the Avos, the last of the Shvatim to die. And he tells his children, remember that you're Jews. Remember to stay and learn. Remember what we're doing here. Stay in Eretz Goshen. Remember you're not a Mitzri. Remember Lagorba Eretz Banu. We don't live here. Egypt is not our home. Try to remember where we are. Remember you're a Yid. You live in Eretz Israel. Don't forget who you are and where you are. As all the Shvatim told their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And then Pyro decides the Jews, there's just too many of them. And they own all the banks and media. You know what I mean? They're a problem. 
And so he comes up with a plan. He comes out wearing a golden brick. And he says, and I want everybody to come forward. We're having a project called Rebuild Egypt. And we're going to rebuild Egypt. And I have to tell you, we're very wealthy now, thanks to our Jewish citizens, particularly Yosef, whose timely intervention saved not only our country from starvation, but brought all the riches of the world down to Egypt. And so we want to rebuild particularly those cities that uh, Yosef built to use for grain. We're going to make them into treasury houses. I'm asking people to volunteer, and I'm not forcing anyone to come, but we're asking you out of goodwill, all citizens of Egypt, to come. And we'll pay you for your time. We just want to see who's a loyal citizen and really cares about their country. My gosh. What a way to get a Jew. Every Jew wants to be. It's been pointed out many times that the American dream, as captured by Hollywood, was done by Jewish immigrants who spoke English with an accent. Goldwyn and Mayer and Fox and uh, you know all these all the famous producers and all the people who made the, the movies that captured Americana. Nobody could do it like a Jew. You know? They 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 were they were more British than the British, more German than the German, and more more Russian than the Russians. We 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 took it in. I'm always amazed when I hear you don't hear it today so much. I you know? can't remember the last time I heard it. When I was growing up, sometimes we'd go to a bar mitzvah and somebody would be playing Romania. Romania, Romania, Romania! I think to myself, isn't that the place where like, the Iron Guard killed the Jews? You know what I mean? And we're sitting here singing this wonderful little song, you know? Gosh, you know, the warm, warm German songs. You know what I mean? Like, how could you not look at these places? But, but that's because, you know, I'm an American. You know, I'm an American. So, so far they haven't, you know, done anything to us yet, you know what I mean? So we still have a sort of warm feeling in our hearts and halavai should continue, you know? But when you look back and you see what they do, how do you keep this warm sense? Because we, we Jews want to belong. There's something in us that want to belong. We don't want to stay off to the side. And so, and so Paro reaches out and the Jews fall for it. Like a ton of bricks, pardon the expression. And they all come out. And they all join. And now the trap has been set. And bit by bit, the, the, they stop getting paid, and they start losing their civil rights, and they start until they become slaves, until they become oppressed. And by that point, it's too late. The trap has already been sprung. I, I told this Marshall a long time ago, and I heard it from, from uh, somebody who was speaking, and I cannot, to this day, verify the veracity of this. But this is what the person said, and I'm just sharing it. Um, so the correct way to cook a lobster is not to immerse it in boiling water because then it becomes tough and it re releases something that makes it taste bad. What you have to do is you put it into a pot of cold water and you put it on a very low flame. And then you make the flame a little higher. Then you make the flame a little higher. Make the flame a little higher. And by the time the lobster realizes what's happened, he's already cooked. And so it was with the Jews. Once they were sucked in, and everybody came, with the exception of Shevet Levi. And they said, Levi, don't you care about your country? Don't you have a sense of patriotism? And they said, Ich bin a yid. And I stay here in Goshen. And I learn Torah like my 
Al-Tazaydi Yehuda told me, he said, yeah, 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 but you know, times change and you got to get with it and you got to, you know, it's like, I stay here. So, you know, Yehuda, you're making us look bad. Oh, oh, I don't know what to do now. You're making me feel bad. Wah, thanks, but no thanks. I'm staying here. And on all the pressure of Egypt and all the pressure of the Jews, couldn't get them to break. I know what to do. You don't like me? I'll have to deal with that, won't I? They come out of Mitzrayim, Shevet Levi, along with everybody else. And Moshe Rabbeinu goes up the mountain. And they're waiting for Moshe to come down. And they make a miscalculation. And on the 39th day, around noontime, when they thought it was the 40th day and Moshe should come down, says Rashi, comes Hoshech and Arvuvia. Darkness comes to the world. And the entire time-space continuum begins unraveling and seas are boiling and mountains are collapsing and stars are exploding and they said, oh my gosh, at the end of the universe we have to do something to save the world and Shemit Levy says, sit down and be quiet and they said, what are you talking about? he says, Chor, do something and they said, you know, you guys, maybe you made a mistake let's do that and they kill him and they say, Aaron and Aaron's going for time and the whole time Shemit Levy's going shame on you, for shame and it doesn't make a difference everybody's doing what they're going to do except for Shemit Levy not one from Shemit Levy was was pulled aside. The next day when Moshe comes down, boy, did they feel stupid. Here we are dancing around the golden calf and there's Moshe standing here with the luchos and now go ahead and explain this situation. And he says, Mila Shemelai. And without hesitation, Shevet Levi comes and stands apart. He says, my friends, you have now been deputized to execute the people who served the Egel might be a relative on your maternal side. <laughs> might be somebody close to you. Might be a friend. Are you prepared to do the will of the Lord? Are you prepared to stand alone against the Jewish people? And Shevet Levi said, yes. I am ha'echad. I will be the one. And off they go into this battle. <clears throat> And all of that Yosef was able to do with one fell swoop. Pull Shimon away and give Levi the chance to not be one half of the musical team Shimon and Levi. But give him the opportunity to become ha'echad. And so Shimon and Levi split up and, and Yaakov Avinu says to them, each one of you have to find your own path. Don't Try to just be a panderer. Don't try to play to the people. Try, try to be an individual. Try to do what's right, regardless of what anybody says. Obviously, at some point, these two divergent paths will meet again. And where is that? The end of Parsha's Balak. After the Benoz Midyan get the Bnei Yisrael to sin and worship Baal Pa'or, so, in the midst of this, the Hina Ish Mibnei Yisrael Ba, the Yakrev El Echav Es Hamidyanis, the Ene Moshe, the Ene Kordas Bnei Yisrael. He goes and takes a Midianite woman in front of Moshe and everybody else. This, as we find out later, is uh, Zimri, who, according to a view in the Gemara, is really Shaul ben Aknanis which means that this gentleman is about 250 years old. And he pulls this Midianist woman to his tent. 
he is one of the original Yordei Mitzrayim. They say, well, why didn't he die in the Midbar? He says, because the Takana was only against people between, because they were only between people between 20 and 60. And he was way over that age limit. Uh, it was uh, 210 at the time. So uh, they, they, uh, he, he does this, and, and he turns to Moshe and says the following. Amala Moshe, zua sura o muteres. Is this mutua asur? Im taima asura. Bas Yisro me'atibel chot. Who let you marry Yisro, the Midianite's daughter? Ooh. You're starting up with Moshe. That's really bad. And Moshe stands there silently. And Bnei Yisro stands there silently. This is one of the elder Chachamim leaders, Nesim of Bnei Yisrael. What a moment. And because of this, there was a Magefa, and the Magefa was ripping through Klai Yisrael, <coughs> killing people left and right. And Pinchas stands up. Ben Aaron HaKohen. Yeah? Ben Pinchas, Ben Loza, Ben Aaron. Yeah? Ben, raise it back. Ben uh, Amram, Ben Kohos, Ben Levi. And he stands up and says, Who is Moshe Rabbeinu? What's the halacha? What's the halacha? Well, in this case, Kenayim Pokembo. He takes a spear, even though he's a young man. Even though Bnei Yisrael wanted to kill him afterwards. And he stands up and he kills Zimri and Cosby, and the Magefa stops. All of Klai Yisrael stood there with their mouths open. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to react. And Pinchas says, I'm not afraid. If this is what has to be done, I'll do it. And if they want to kill me, they can kill me. But I'm prepared to stand alone if need be, with no one's help and no one's support. Because that is where I come from. Levi ha'echad. What motivated Zimri, who himself was this great individual to do this? <coughs> Rashi, this kabtsu shivto shel Shimon eitzel Zimri, nasi shalehem. They all gathered around Shimon. Ve'amrulai, anu niduna l'misa v'ata Yoshev. You're going to sit there while we're going to be sentenced to death? What? Tremendous pressure. All for one and one for all. We're in this together. We're buddies. Come on, you got to do something for me. You can't let me go. How can you sit back and watch me get killed? Well, you know, you were over at Avodah That's pretty serious. Did you notice there's my gape over there killing thousands of people? Uh, my advice to you would be do tshuva. You know what I mean? And try to you know, do what's right. But he didn't. Because he never got the message that Yaakov gave to his father. If you say he should have been a to his father. And he said, we stand together. We're brothers. We won't be separated. I don't care what happens. Do you have the courage to stand alone? No. It's me and my people. And I look after my people no matter what no matter what the consequences. And so 
Levi meets Shimon. And Levi is now Pinchas Ha'echad. He's not, he's not Levi, he's not Levi Shimon's sidekick anymore. He's the person who has the courage to stand alone. <coughs> it is one of the most incredibly difficult things in the world to do, to stand alone. Um, Candid Camera did this uh, segment 30, 40 years ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, where a guy pushes the button for the elevator and the elevator opens and there's about 14 people there and they're all facing back. And he gets into the elevator and the door closes and he's standing there for a while and he finally just turns around and faces back also because everyone's facing back. And, you know, uh, I must be the one who's wrong. I must be the one who's wrong. Well, there's a few yeshiva guys that I knew. This is going back also about 30 years. You know, and uh, they were bored. What do you do for fun? You know, when you have a little spare time. You know, so they lined up in front of a closed door. And uh, before you know it, there was a line behind them. And one by one, the people at the front slipped away and left all these people just standing there, <laughs> waiting online for nothing. <laughs> but if you're in Israel, who wants to miss the opportunity of standing online? <laughs> it's one of the great things we do. There are many variations of this. You just stand and stare up at the sky and eventually everyone will look up. No one knows what they're looking at or why, but everyone wants to do it. And so everybody stands up for each other. And our opinions are formed by sound bites in the media. Before one election, you know, um, they were interviewing people. And each, each person says, I'm voting for this one. They just quoted the person's slogan. That's all. Anyone stop to really think about it, to really decide whether I should, whether I shouldn't? No. We, we just get swept along. And then how many people are going to stop and say, no, this is wrong? So, there's only one person that I know of who ever got a chance to go head-to-head with the Satan. The Satan, who is the Eitzahara, who is the Malachamagas, is also the Cyrus for Asaf. This guy is one of the busiest guys you've ever met. As the, the Eitzahara, he tempts you. As the um, Satan, he accuses you. And as the Malachamagas, he carries out the <coughs> punishment. So this guy is pretty busy. And um, and never underestimate the power of the Satan. The Satan is very powerful. And he, um, at one point, right, I mean, there are a number of Gemaras where he comes to tempt people, the likes of which uh, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Meir, and they're about to do an Avera, and he turns back into the Satan and says, just remember, I can get you any time I want. Hashem doesn't let me. But don't, don't think you can mess with me. Yeah? There's only one person who the Satan felt, I have no choice but to go and attack him personally, and that is Yaakov. 
What inspired the Satan slash Malachamaves slash Yetzahara to personally come down and attack somebody, which is really outside of the rules? You know, you're the Sarish Oasis, so what? Go fight with my Sar. What are you going to fight with me for? You know? So, what inspired this? It's gracious, Lamed Beis, Vayivaser Yaakov Levadai. And Yaakov was left alone. And they fought till dawn. What's he doing alone? Rashi brings the Chazal. That he forgot the Pachim Ketanim. He forgot some little bottles. And he went back to get them. And there he was alone, and the Malachamaves, the Satan himself, comes down to attack him. Now you could say because he was alone, it was a Malachim Sakonin, it was at night. He doesn't usually go after people just because they happen to be alone. What happened here? Yaakov stood alone because he went back for the Pachim Kitanim. And at that point, the Satan says, Ad Khan, I've had it with you. It's clobbering time. And he comes down and Yaakov says, come on, take your best shot. And the two of them duked it out. And finally he's got his um, wings pinned behind his back and he has to say, uncle, and he gives up. Gives him a bracha. Because he went back for the Pachim Ketana. It's brought down the Ishbitzer, it's brought down an earlier Svarim. What were the Pachim Ketanim? The Ishbitzer says it clearly. It was the Pach Shemen that they later found in the Beis HaMikdash in the Hanukkah story. Yaakov went back to get that Pach Shemen. Now, besides the obvious connection between the fact that it says Pachim Ketanim and it says Pach Shemen, they use the word Pach in both cases. But what's the what's the the message that's going on here? Yaakov says, if you want to be a Jew, there are going to come times in your life where you're going to have to have the courage to stand alone. And the Yetzirah understood that Kolzman, that Klai Yisrael has the courage and the power to stand alone to stand up against everybody who's trying to tempt us, to stand against the collected forces, we're finished. I can't, I can't lead someone astray. The Mesil Shashar in Parakei says, the first step that a person has to work on is called becoming a Zahir. A Zahir means a person who stops and thinks. A person who thinks, thinks what he does, right? Kol Maisesh, Yasa, every action he does, should I do it, should I not do it? And there are three things that will stop you from becoming a Zahir, and even if you've accomplished it, will cause you to lose it. One is being too involved in this world, because you'll be too busy. One is you won't take things seriously. And the third is called bad friends. 
and says the Masil Shashar, a person can know what the right thing is to do and believe in it and be prepared to do it and have no choice, so to speak, but to put aside all of his values because of his friends and go against his most cherished beliefs because he wants to belong Human beings are social animals. We live in colonies. We're not meant to live alone. And because they want to belong, they'll do almost anything to be part of the group. Even if what the group is doing, they don't want to do. What am I supposed to do? Somebody told me they were in Walmart and they caught this kid who was shoplifting. And he happened to be standing there by the desk, you know, and they were interviewing him. And they said, why did you steal this? He said, my friends told me to. He says, and if your friends told you to jump over a building, would you jump over a building? And he said, if there were three of them? Powerful insight. I guess there were only two. <laughs> so there were three already? Yeah, then I guess I'd jump over the building. Right? I heard this years ago. Why did the monkey fall out of the tree? He was dead. Why did the second monkey fall out of the tree? He was dead. Why did the third monkey fall out of the tree? Peer pressure. You know, everybody's dying. I feel stupid still being here. So, you know what I'm To stand up for what you believe in? Very hard. Forget about that there are people who don't know what they believe in. But, but if you do know what you believe in, you know what you believe in, you know what's important to you, what am I supposed to do? My friends are coming for me. They expect me to be there. Who's going to have the courage to be an individual? Hi. <sighs> How many times do we find ourselves in situations where we have to decide? Am I going to make an issue? Will I just sit there quietly when I see something happening? Not know what to do. So one time, it was my mother's birthday, and uh, my family took my mother out for her birthday to this Chinese restaurant somewhere in the New York area. They had a party room. And uh, the whole family sat down. I've mentioned this in the past, but I'm probably one of the quietest in my family. And uh, the whole family sits down. And we notice that there's like a bunch of machitzas set up going down the middle. And, um, and the waitress, when she comes over, says, listen, I hope you don't mind, but um, there's another party tonight. Well, we don't mind if I won't be louder than us. You know what I mean? You know? He says, well, it's a bachelor party. So, guys getting married tomorrow. Mazel tov. What other way to spend the day before you get married? Of course, in this bodidus and, and reflecting on what life is all about. What a beautiful time to get together with your most close chaverim to think about what marriage is. No, no, nothing like that. Okay, we have a party. And they're bringing in a belly dancer. So one of my brothers, who I won't mention, which is not really important, just says, I don't have any objection, but can you take down the screen? That was his observation. <laughs> so after she left, I was torn. Because what do I do? I don't want to make a scene. I could help it. you know. But I, first, 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 I always say, you know, whenever you have to answer a question, the hardest person to answer it for is for yourself. You know what I mean? It's always the internal struggle. Once you solve the internal struggle, the rest of the struggles are easy. And I started saying to myself, this is not right. This shouldn't be going on here. This is not right. Now the brother, who just a moment ago was suggesting removing the <laughs> pizza, says, what's the problem? 
I said, it's not right. This is a Galat Kosher restaurant. You know what I mean? You're not supposed to be having things like that here. So he says to me, so you're a rabbi, go do something. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to do something. I wanted to just go and sit in the corner <laughs> and pull myself into a ball because I'm not looking for confrontation. My brother's like, well, okay. And I drag myself downstairs and I go to the desk <clears throat> And the person behind the desk says, oh, Rabbi Olavsky, how are you? You remember me? I used to be in your class. I was like, hi. Um, can I talk to the mashkiach? I'm the mashkiach. Uh-huh. Well, there's a little problem here because there's this private party that's about to take place and evidently they're bringing in you know, entertainment that is not in keeping with Galat Kosher standards. So he says, oh, uh, we'll have to get the manager. <laughs> we'll just get the manager. Get the manager. The manager comes over and says, what's the problem? So I said, well, you know, I understand that there's going to be a you know, this program taking place here, and uh, you really can't do this. He says, well, they arranged it on their own. So I said, well, what if they wanted to bring in a cake from the outside that they arranged on their own? He said, that's different. I said, you're right, that's just a love. This is Gilead Reyes, this is Harag Valyavo, you know, you have to die. Right? <laughs> now this takes place, you're right, much worse. He says, well, it's, it's, it's already arranged, nothing I can do about it. I said, I have no objection to you bringing in any kind of exotic entertainment you want. That's up to you. But I happen to be friendly with so-and-so who's on your Kashmir's, you know, commission. And uh, I think they should know that, you know, they're giving a hashkafa to a place that has exotic entertainment as part of the program. So he says, I'll take care of it. I said, thank you very much. And I dragged myself up and sat at the furthest seat trying to hide myself as best I could. My brother said, so did you take care of it? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they all come in. They're all very party-ish, you know. They all sit down, you know. And I hear from the other side, the manager whisper something. And uh, you hear a lot of, you know, complaining and grumbling and unpleasantries. Somebody runs out to make a phone call. They come back, you know what I mean? And the manager walks around the mechitza and comes right to me. I, I was obviously inconspicuous at that point and says, I spoke to them, they're going to go someplace else for the entertainment part and then come back here to eat. You know? And as they walked out, each guy threw me a look, which, Baruch Hashem, they weren't on the madrega to actually use an iron hara correctly. Otherwise, I would have been reduced to a heap of bones. <laughs> and as they were walking out, my brother said, let them say something. Go ahead, say something. <laughs> <laughs> now, I look back at that story, and it's not one of my prouder moments. And um, w- the part that bothered me most is that what if my brother hadn't been there to goad me on? And I probably would have sat there while this was going on. Maybe I would have left the room. I would have thought to myself, this is not right. Look at the decadence, it's wrong. But I wouldn't have done anything. Why? Because I was embarrassed. Because I don't want to stand up. Because I don't want to make a scene. I had a friend of mine who was Hasidish. He became Hasidish later in life. He wasn't born Hasidish. You know? And something came about something. I said, why don't you say something? He says, I don't like to stick out. I said, you dressed in clothes from the 1700s and you were afraid of sticking out, you know? <laughs> now you figured that out. <laughs> well, you've been told that. <laughs> he went after that to Pach Shemen of Hanukkah and Yaakov was prepared to stand alone against the Satan, against the Yitzhahara, against every, every force of evil to teach the world that oil doesn't mix. No matter how much you try to get it to mix, floats right to the top. I have um, truma oil that I got um, 
some years ago, which is, of course, Tamei, but what you do with Tamei oil is you're a Kohen, you can burn it. And I use that for my, for my, um, for my uh, Shabbos light. And what I always do is I add a little water so that it doesn't burn the bottom of the cups, and then I add the oil. And I was someplace once where there was another wife of a Kohen, and what she did is she added a little food coloring to the water so that it, uh, it gives it a nice color, and it contrasts with the oil. Very beautiful. And I decided, Chavez Hanukkah, I'll try that. But a couple of them already had the oil. And I, the other ones, you put the drop into the water, immediately it spreads out. And this, the little drop just sat there in the oil. It didn't go anywhere. Slowly it sunk through. And when it hit the water, boom, floated all over the place. But the oil, the oil doesn't mix. Not with the food coloring, not with the water. It stays off to the side. Yaakov stood alone to get that koach and pass it on to us. Rabbi Bachayi says, you know what they were? Pachim ketanim. They were bottles of ketanim. They were baby bottles. Because he went back to make sure that his children understood you have to stand alone. And Yosef shows Levi, don't be one half of Shimon and Levi. Be ha'echad. Have the courage to stand alone. And Levi learns this and for the rest of his life stands alone. And when it finally comes time that the Greeks are there to force the Jews to be like everybody else. They broke down our walls and they were metamaya oil because oil doesn't mix but you're going to be like everybody else. The Hashmanoyim, the Kohanim from Shevet Levi stood up again and said, not us. We won't play. We're going to stand up and fight for what's right. We're the few against the many. That doesn't make us less correct. We're the, we're the weak against the mighty. That's not enough of a reason not to fight. There's something that's right I don't care if everybody else in the world is against me. I don't care if the rest of the Jewish people are against me. If I know it's right, then you have to have the courage to stand up and do what's right. Rabbi Shmuel Salanta died in a town where nobody knew him, thinking that he failed in his attempt to try to create a Muslim movement. You don't stop. You try. You stand alone. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what the forces are out there. Hanukkah is a time of courage. It's a time of oil, because oil doesn't mix. It's a time for us to be true to ourselves, to be an individual, to be the ma'atim against the rabim, to be the ones who have nothing but perhaps the quiet voice of truth. Means we have to stand up to all the pressures that are out there, everything that's trying to destroy us. It doesn't make a difference. We have to do what's right. And if we do what's right, then that's the power of those Hanukkah candles. And every day they grow stronger and stronger. Tonight, five. Tomorrow, six. Tomorrow, seven. They get stronger and stronger. And they light that fire inside of us that we can be not echad, one of them, but ha-echad, the individual with the courage to stand up against all the forces of the world if need be. In order to do that which is right. Because Baruch Hu should allow the light of Hanukkah to enter into our hearts and allow us to have the courage to be the individuals that we're supposed to be, to be able to do that which is right. Mirza Hashem.
The next year is in two weeks. Parshas Vayechi. Yeah. Bashi says the whole world is coming in the 